Hello and welcome to the premiere episode of the Matt Levine My Generation podcast, currently sponsored by no one. Today we have my good friend and political activist Matt Skolar along with my co-host and close friend Noah Levy. We talk about Matt's work in the community, George Floyd and the history of racism, as well as the 2020 election, the Green Party, and plenty more. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe when you're finished listening. And enjoy. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Uh, What have you been up to during quarantine? Well, I mean, during quarantine, um, obviously school. Um, I've been trying to keep up with that. Also, my my organization uh, work like with with uh, my my activism, all my different causes. I've been trying to keep up with that. That has definitely been an experience during quarantine. Trying to uh, do that, it's it's all different, um, you know. Because usually we like to interact like in our community mm-hmm. and uh, actually be there in person to support people. Um, yeah. So that's been different. Um, also, I mean, I've been lucky enough, I still have my job, um, which a lot of teen workers, they're out of a job right now, Yeah, I've still been working four nights a week. Um, so that's, that's good too. Um, because that gets me out of the house a little bit. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's just been a really interesting experience as it's been for everybody though. Yeah. So you mentioned about your causes, uh, kind of tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing in the community. Uh, definitely before quarantine and talk about like what you've been up to uh, during this time and how you've been helping other people. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I, I could talk a little bit about some of the organizations that I'm a part of. I mean, there's two organizations in particular that I'm active in, um, those being Youth Over Guns and Make the Road New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Youth Over Guns, we're a organization that uh, specifically talks about um, the gun violence issue from a perspective of how it impacts marginalized communities mm-hmm. um, because marginalized communities are often left out of the gun violence prevention conversation. And oftentimes the policies that are proposed, they do not necessarily reflect the needs of those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so our work, we try to be as intersectional as we can. Um, we partner with a lot of different social justice organizations in the New York metropolitan area. And um, the, the, the whole idea is that gun violence can't be solved um, simply by just throwing policies. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have to also uh, contribute to the, the communities that are usually underserved and make those communities more livable for everybody that lives there. Um, yeah. What Make the Road New Jersey, I've been more of a, a youth advocate. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've done a lot of work surrounding uh, the rights of teen workers and uh, the minimum wage um, mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Um, we've been able to get a $15 an hour minimum wage bill passed. Um, and we, we did that through a variety of ways. Um, yeah. we, we were able to communicate with legislators. Um, like we, we had actual meetings with them. Uh, I made a video with Governor Murphy once, which helped uh, bring some awareness to the issue. Um, and 
I think it's really a testament to the power of young people to be able to make a change in the world around them. Because, you know, Matt, the, the, the legislators, they originally wanted to cut teen workers out of the $15 an hour minimum wage bill. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was a far cry from a perfect bill that got passed. But teen workers were ultimately included because of our advocacy and our work and the ability of young people to stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, politically speaking, I also do a lot of work with the Green Party in New Jersey. Um, yes. I'm the chair of the Young Eco-Socialist Caucus, which is our youth wing uh, here in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been organizing um, behind our candidates. Um, we have wonderful candidates running for federal office and local office, too, um, around the state. Um, I, I've been the outreach coordinator for the Madeline Hoffman for U.S. Senate campaign. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really been interesting, trying to run a virtual campaign during the middle of a pandemic while still supporting yeah. the community. It's, it's really, really different um, because, I mean, just trying to qualify for the ballot alone. The way you qualify for the ballot as an independent candidate in this state, you have to get tons of signatures. And mm-hmm. how do you get signatures during a pandemic? You know, yeah. um, we, we were able to push the state uh, to allow us to collect electronic petition signatures, which are better for public health, obviously. Um, so we've been uh, collecting electronic signatures. We've been having meet and greets online um, every weeknight at Tuesday, uh, on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Um, so those have been really informative and we've highlighted a lot of the activism, uh, activist issues that are important to, uh, the, the party as well as myself. Yeah. Um, I'd like to congratulate you uh, on that scholarship to Davidson. I think that's, that's great. And would you like to tell me about the process that went into that? Sure. So, yeah, um, I was selected by Davidson college to be, uh, one of eight people um, for it, it's one of their top scholarships at the school. And it's one of the most competitive scholarships in the country. Um, they, they accept applicants from uh, all around the world. There was actually this time around, they had applicants from 45 states and 36 countries um, for wow. the scholarship. And the total number of applicants was about 1,220. Um mm-hmm. So the, the way that process went, I got to be honest, I was really surprised that I got the scholarship. It, it was a school that I had kind of overlooked at first. I didn't yeah. think I was actually going to go to that school. I was like, why do I want to go to school in North Carolina? It was something yeah. that was brought up to me um, by my, my guidance counselor. She's like, you know, there's this really cool scholarship. I think you'd be really competitive for it. And the school, it's a school you would like. And I mean, yeah. it's a school I'd never heard of before, um, aside from the fact that Stephen Curry was from there. And that's how most <laughs> yeah. people know the school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really tiny school, um, but it's a really prestigious school, too. And they, they offer a really good community there that's really inclusive of the needs of the student body. And I'm really excited about that. But the, the qualifications for the scholarship itself, um, they were mainly about... Um, the, the engagement that the student has in the community and how they um, react to uh, civil discourse and how they mm-hmm. uh, contribute to make the world a better place, as well as truly amazing too. 
But That's great. It's truly amazing because you say that like you were, you were very surprised, but you're doing amazing work in, here in New Jersey. And uh, how are you going to continue that work at Davidson in the fall? Well, I mean, first of all, I would say it's certainly not just me, Matt. I mean, there's a ton of people that have contributed to the work that I do. I certainly don't do things on my own. Move, mm-hmm. Take um, a lot of people and movements require coalition building. Um, so yeah. I, plan, I plan on building coalitions down in Davidson, too. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've already reached out to a bunch of students down there, and I was like, you know, hey, I, I want to get organizing on campus the day I arrive. And whether that's uh, this August or uh, later because of this pandemic, who knows? Um, it's, it's going to happen for sure. Um, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there that are suffering and suffering for reasons that um, are, there, there's no reason they should be suffering, especially in a, a country like the United States. That, Definitely. that proclaims itself to be the wealthiest and the, the most wonderful, which, I mean, that's a debate to be had. But, um, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of people that need our help. And if I'm in a position of power and a position of privilege, it's up to me to make sure that um, I'm doing something to change the world for the better. Because if I sat here silently and did nothing, which I certainly could do, um, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the right thing in my mind for me to be doing because, uh, the, the only way that you see real legitimate change that actually means something to the communities it says it's serving is when, um, people do get up and stand up when they're in a position of power. Yeah. And kind of transitioning into like the recent acts of racism we've seen, uh, on the news, especially on social media, you've been very active on social media recently. So we see these we see these brutal acts of racism, but then we have the power of technology, and we're and people are starting to use their social platforms to expose these awful acts. Um, what have you been doing on the technology front? But then also, how can we use technology to further expose these acts and further bring uh, bring justice? Well, I mean, there, there's a bunch of different things that people can be doing and people should be doing, um, especially people that come from a position of privilege. There's a lot of actions that need to be taken that um, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you're not taking them, it's, it's, not, um, it's not cool. It's not right. It's not justice. You can't share something online and then not take the actions. Um, so... Obviously, the first step is to share the actions. Um, There have been a lot of really good actions, solid actions that have really put pressure on public officials to actually um, bring some kind of justice to whether it's the cases um, with Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor or most recently George Floyd. Um, Public pressure, it works. Um, And that's that's a historical truth. Um, Unfortunately... Um, we're seeing modern day lynchings, um, that are, that are still happening. Uh, mm-hmm. and we, we do have to speak up and say something and do something. So I've been calling district attorneys. I've been calling, 
Um, like for example, with George Floyd, I called the, the, the mayor of Minneapolis, the, the office, um, not the mayor Mm -hmm. itself, but I did call the office. I left the voicemail and it wasn't just me. We have a coalition. Like I said, um, people all around the country have been calling these offices and putting pressure on these officials to actually stand up and do something. Um, it really does take a a community to uh, make make changes that actually matter. So yeah. Uh, last night I watched I watched the video of of George George Floyd on the pavement, and watching that video, my stomach kind of it kind of just dropped. I it was one of the most awful things I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and. Even with the video, it doesn't mean that the result that we're hoping for, that the officers are going to be put behind bars for the rest of their lives, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. We saw it in 2014 with Eric Garner. The police officer involved in the Eric Garner, um, in Eric Garner's death, he was fired, but he was, he was never charged. And same with Rodney King in, 92, in 91 or 92. The police officers were acquitted, which prompted the L.A. riots. Where is the end, in your, in your opinion? And what when is the boiling point the inevitable inevitable boiling point going to occur well this is this is the thing matt we we really have to um address these issues as they come they're not new issues um and unfortunately i think there's a lot of people who they're like wow i'm surprised that happened to george floyd wow i'm surprised that happened to Maud arbery but regretfully i have to say it's not all that surprising because it's been happening time after time in this country for years. This is, Mm -hmm. it's a symptom of this country's original sin and that's slavery. And then the racism that resulted from it. Um, um, We, we have a past in this country that we cannot reconcile with, but we have to, um, recognize and build off of it and um, make this place a, a more equitable place for everybody. And that, that means that when these instances happen, everybody that is in a position of power or privilege needs to be sharing um, the actions and then taking the actions themselves um, to, to make sure that actual change happens. And that means real social justice for um, the, the communities that have been underserved for so long. That means we should be exploring reparations. And I mean, I can't really say what reparations look like because I'm, I'm a, a white person. That's not really what I should be saying. But I do think we need reparations and we need to start looking at what reparations look like to support these communities, whether that is checks that go out to people or that's direct investment into the communities that have suffered um, from the, the, the effects of sharecropping or the effects of redlining or whatever else there might be over the years that has happened. Um, it's, it's a system that needs changing. It's, it's not isolated incidents. Um, we, we really need to uh, start looking at social change as system change. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, the, for the specific police officers, 
in these instances, what action do you think is needed against them? Like, is there a line that needs to be drawn? Well, these officers, they've committed um, crimes that are not to be reconciled with. I think that the, the district attorneys, they need to press charges. We need to start um, holding police accountable. Um, and for the future, I mean, because it's, it's too late with them now, they, they got to be taken care of and justice has to be served. I don't know if you could really uh, create true justice because at the end of the day, George Floyd is a dead man. Um, but his spirit will not be dead if we, uh, take these instances of real racism in this country, um, and actually, uh, do something about it. Um, and I think that means that uh, we start looking at what like, all right, so the Black Panthers in, in the 70s, for example, they talked about community control of the police and how police should be ran and operated by the people who live in those communities. Why are mm-hmm. white men from Oakdale, Minnesota policing a community that is majority black in Minneapolis. That doesn't make sense. And that's true of a lot of black communities all around the country. You have white officers coming from suburban areas around the cities and coming to police those neighborhoods. I think policing also needs to be more uh, about service work and less about you did something wrong, so now you have to pay. Because I think mm-hmm. when you invest in communities more, I think people respond better and they don't, they don't feel inclined to um, commit a crime. But even, even, even so, I don't, I don't think a lot of these instances, the people were even wrong to begin with. A lot of the times these people um, aren't, committing any crimes and the cops still go and they attack anyway. Um, so yeah. real community control of the police is what we need to start exploring. Um, and the, the police systems that we currently see um, that dominate the way this country is ran, that support oppressive structures and systems, those systems, they need to be abolished altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Scotch Plains Fanwood, uh, they've been doing a lot of educating a lot of building tolerance from from like the ground floor, starting with elementary, middle school, high school students. Is educating and building tolerance through seminars and activities, is that enough? You're talking about the school district in general? School districts throughout the country, uh, a variety of organizations, is educating and build, building tolerance, is, is that enough? Well, education is a crucial first step, Matt. Um, there's, there's a lot that needs to be done to bring some kind of justice to the awful past that this country has. Um, I think educating is, is a great, it, um, some of the, have about the, Um, changed like through through the education system. Mm-hmm. I think when we expose students to diverse opinions and views and help students understand that 
um, perspective is something to be celebrated and appreciated, um, that's when we'll start seeing some more changes. Um, but also, I think these districts also need to understand that there needs to be safe places for people who come from uh, marginalized communities and backgrounds for those students to be able to feel safe and accepted. Um, because I feel like a lot of students, um, they don't feel safe in their, their own schools. And I, I mean, I don't think I'm the best speaker to be speaking about that because I shouldn't be speaking on behalf of people that feel that mm -hmm. way um, in schools. But um, there's, there is a, a common feeling around um, a, lot of, a lot of people um, from backgrounds that are not um, historically well accepted in majority white wealthy communities like Scotch Plains and Fanwood. Um, the, the feeling is that they, they don't belong there. Yeah. And the, they, they need to have those safe spaces. So what are your, before we wrap this, this segment up, what are your thoughts on how the federal government has been, has been handling these acts of racism? And President, Ra uh, former President Reagan, he used to say this on his old campaign, are you better off than you were four years ago? Do you think we're better off than we were four years ago? I don't think we're better off than we were four years ago, eight years ago, even 12 years ago. I think things have gotten worse progressively lately, Matt. Um, I think you're seeing that there is a lot of hate that has been built up um, in recent years um, in, re in response to a government that has not done enough for its people. Um, I think there's been a lot of miseducation that's been done, uh, mainly through the means of the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of platforms have chosen not to hold people accountable. Um, platforms like Facebook um, and YouTube and Instagram um, that have allowed uh, hate speech to happen on their platforms um, and grow and get worse. Um, a lot of people who have these hateful ideologies, they are able to reach out um, to an audience through these means that they did not necessarily have before. Mm -hmm. uh, but also we have to acknowledge that a lot of this hatred has always been here. It's not really a new thing. Um, it's just a re-manifests itself uh, every, every time, every few decades, it, it starts to change. You know, we had slavery and then you know, then we had the era of Jim Crow. And then after Jim Crow, um, now we're in the era of mass incarceration. And it's, 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 it, it just changes yeah. to be palatable to the, the white community um, during that day. Hmm. So kind of transitioning, uh, let's talk about the 2020 election a little bit. Uh, you and I, we've had some, some very interesting discussions. So first off, do you think there will be an election in November? Uh, with with the pandemic still uh, looming? I think there is going to be an election in November. A lot of states, they have already been making plans for November. Um, some states more than others. Um, you have some states that have completely switched to voting by mail, um, which I think is the safest option mm -hmm. um, because of the pandemic. I think if 
Um, you send vote by mail applications to uh, every residence that has registered voters. Um, those, those people that could fill out the vote by mail application and then receive the vote by mail ballot um, in, in November. Um, so that way they can cast their ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think that the elections, they will still go on. Um, I just think they're going to be a little bit different and voter turnout will be something we will have to watch out for because I think it's, it's going to be impacted by this pandemic. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who they don't have um, the, the access to uh, get to the mail ba- mailbox easily to uh, mail in their ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's going to have to be some considerations for people that might be in that kind of situation. Um, but also, I mean, there, I think there'll still be some in-person voting regardless. Yeah. Um, even if, even if not every voting location is open, I think there'll be some voting locations where people can go to, um, right now in New Jersey, I know we haven't really gotten to that point yet to talk about the general election. Um, I just know that for primaries right now, they're going to be run completely vote by mail. Mm -hmm. Um, so Matt was telling me a little bit about your views on Biden and Trump and how similar you, you perceive them. Do you think the, the lesser of two evils approach is a major disconnect generation Z and the older generations? Absolutely. I think that the, the lesser evils approach, um, what's the point of voting the lesser two evils when every time you do that, they only get more evil, and each time they're lesser. That's something that Ralph Nader used to say in 2000, um, is, is just that. Um, you know, I, you look at Biden, and you look at Trump. Okay, Trump, he might be very overtly racist. He might be willing to say things that Biden might not say to your face. But we know that Biden's actions over the last 40 years that he's been and public office reflect some of the same things that Trump says. So I don't see the point in voting for someone whose actions don't reflect the words that he suddenly uh, thinks that he's, he's going to stand by. Um, I don't see Biden as a progressive. Um, I don't see him as someone that's going to allow for remarkable change. I think he's a return to status quo, a return to normal but what is normal yeah what is normal when you have so many people that don't have access to health care so many people that um don't have access to higher education that don't have access to basic necessities like clean water i mean look at flint michigan and newark new jersey there's so many people that don't even have clean water yeah the world's wealthiest country yeah I just, you know, and I think that Biden's actions over the years have contributed to those flaws in in, in the system. I don't even know if you could call them flaws in the system. Maybe it's just a system that's working exactly what it's uh, supposed to be doing. And maybe it was just designed to hurt us all anyway. Yeah. So what is the goal by voting for the Green Party in November? Are you are is there a certain number that the Green Party's trying to hit? And pretty much so whether Trump or Biden's in office, it's it's going to be the same. 
Well, I'm going to be voting for Howie Hawkins in November. He's running with the Green Party ticket. Um, his running mate is going to be Angela Walker. Um, and both of them, I feel, are more reflective of the values that I want to see represented in my government. I don't see the reason why I should be voting for uh, the lesser two evils when I have a really good candidate on the ballot. Um, so somebody like Howie Hawkins and Angela Walker, the two of them, they've been labor organizers um, for a long time that have actually been on the ground. Um, I think it's time we put workers in the White House. Hmm. Um, I, I think we've seen what the political duopoly has brought to this country. It's just brought massive dysfunction in the way that our country is run. So many people don't get the resources they need. Now, that being said, I also um, acknowledge the fact that um, this election, it, it, they have an uphill battle. And that's because they are not funded by corporations. They're not taking money from uh, the, the big money donors that uh, contribute massively to the campaigns all around the country. Mm. Um, these, these candidates... Um, I think they're running to win, but of course it is an uphill battle. Now. Yeah. And um, I think the goal for a lot of green party candidates every year is to hit 5%. And the reason why we say 5% is because that enables them to get uh, more matching funds, which help them run more competitive campaigns. Mm -hmm. And if they reach 5% in a lot of States, New Jersey happens not to be one of them, but in a lot of States, uh, if you hit 5% in a national election, uh, that guarantees that you will have a permanent spot on the ballot for your candidates uh, for four years okay. um, until the next presidential election. Um, so hitting 5% would mean that the Green Party would be on the ballot in a lot of states. If you hit 15%, now all of a sudden uh, the, the, the national presidential debates have to include your party too, because, um, the, a lot of the requirements right now for qualifying for presidential debates, you have to hit 15% in the polls. Um, and I mean, hitting 15% in an election would certainly support having your candidate represented at the debate. And once our candidates are in the debate, I think a lot more people will be a little more educated on what our candidates stand for, because right now, um, without the, the, the financial support um, that we just can't compete with, yeah. um, it's really hard to educate voters, because a lot of people don't even know that there is an alternative to Trump or Biden. Well, yeah, going off of your point about the lack of financial support, why do you think that's going to change in four, four years, five years, eight years? to the next presidential election? Well, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it, it would necessarily change, Matt, but the point is that eventually um, perhaps we get a couple people in office. Um, perhaps at the very least, it makes the Democrats realize, hey, you know, we've lost a base in our support. These are people that used to support us actively but they're angry because of things that we've done. And maybe the Democratic Party changes its platform. I don't know about other Green Party voters, but I know for me, I, I don't really want to return to the Democratic Party because I feel like time and time again, it, it, it co-ops movements over the years and um, it, it doesn't really stand for values. But 
you know what, perhaps, maybe, maybe you would get a couple of people who would start to stand a little more in line with uh, the values that I want supported in Congress. Mm. Um, you know, eventually we'll be able to be a more legitimate party. Um, another thing that the Green Party supports is ranked choice voting, um, which would allow for the, the candidates in question to be ranked based off um, whatever the preferred candidate is. It eliminates the concern that, well, all right, if I go vote for Howie Hawkins now, now Biden is going to lose and we're going to end up with Trump. That's the fear that a lot of people have with voting third party. Yeah. And while I personally feel that Trump and Biden are kind of in the same camp, I understand if some people um, might not agree with that statement. And that's why ranked choice voting would be a great way to bring democracy um, or something closer to that, at least um, to the, the voters. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you can rank your choices, um, perhaps maybe if you rank Biden number two now and you rank Howie number one, um, first of all, for the Green Party, um, it means that we get more of a chance to be competitive in these elections because people feel more comfortable um, or um, for the the voter, at the very least, you get your number two candidate into office, maybe. Yeah. Um, and you you don't feel so bad about voting third party. So since Biden and Trump are pretty much in the same camp, is it is it a win if Trump if is it a win if Trump wins the election because then the Democrats are going to be like, oh, some of my base a lot of our base has kind of gone to the green party. Is that, is that more of a win than if Biden wins? Well, I don't think it's a win if Biden or Trump are in office. I think a win really comes um, when we can actually um, create a sustainable movement of activism in this country um, a, a movement of activism that this country used to have. Um, we, we've had multiple points in this country where um, activism was really strong and actually really influential. Um, but we, we have to bring those movements back right. and we have to grow and grow strong. So let me rephrase that question. Is it more of a first step? Is it a bigger step if Trump wins? Because then the Democratic Party will start to question their beliefs. What what is better? What do you think is better? Well, I think that the the Democratic Party won't change is the issue, Matt. I think that um, we, we're pushing the Democratic Party to change by voting for the Green Party. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the Democratic Party will change. So perhaps eventually the Democratic Party starts to die out as people continue to lose hope um, with the the policies that that party supports or the policies that that party chooses not to support. Um, I think you'll see more people coming to the Green Party, um, especially this time around. I think people are uh, Mm -hmm. very upset about Sanders being cheated out of the Democratic primary twice. Um. On the on the topic of uh, go back to like Joe Biden and Trump in the same boat, a lot of people would think you're you're crazy for that. But do you think it's because Biden's out of touch with the youth, or is it 
Anything else you want to elaborate? Well, Joe Biden's out of touch with the common American. I don't think he's just out of touch with youth. I think he's out of touch with black people. I think he's out of touch with uh, working people. I think he's out of touch with Latinos. He's out of touch with a lot of different groups all throughout this country. I think the reason why people still continue to vote for politicians like Biden, though, is because they don't realize that there's another option on their ballot. Mm -hmm. And if they see that option, they don't understand what that option is. Yeah. Um, And that that goes to uh, talking about effective campaigning and how we can actually build really good campaigns that actually have a shot at uh, winning elections. And that starts with taking money out of politics and hopefully eventually getting to ranked choice voting, which is actually, it's a system of voting that they already use in Maine. And it's, it's actually really successful because a lot more people feel more confident um, voting for who they feel is the best candidate. Yeah. So you, you mentioned right before that Biden's out of touch with the common American, but more specifically, he's out of touch with minorities. Do you think he uses the, I was the vice president to Obama card a little too frequently and loosely? For sure. I think that's really his, I think that's the main reason why he has a black base is because people feel that he's going to bring them back to an era of Obama, which wasn't a perfect era, but I suppose in comparison to Donald Trump, um, a lot of people feel like that that is a uh, a change because at least you know Obama wasn't uh, overtly uh, supporting racist policies. Although you could argue that some of his policies certainly impacted minorities pretty poorly. Um, I just uh, I think that Biden he he tokenizes the the marginalized groups in this country. Yeah. He he isn't really a supporter of civil liberties and civil rights. I think he has shown with his voting history in the Senate that that's not really where his concerns lie. He was somebody who said that he thinks that um if his children had to attend integrated schools, they would be going to a racial jungle is what he called it. Yeah. Um, he said the other day um, on a radio show yeah. that black people are black if they don't vote for Joe Biden. And I, I think that's a really horrendous statement to make because why should he just assume that black people are going to vote for him? Yeah. And, and as a citizen, like seeing that, and then you see him using the, Oh, I was vice president to Obama card. It kind of just questions, it questions his credibility, but then it also just questions his character and who he is as a human being. And I think that's one of the, uh, the reasons why I think uh, president Trump does have a, a good chance uh, at winning in November. Uh, kind of going to the local offices, you work very closely with, closely with Madeline Hoffman. Uh, tell us about those races and what you're hoping to get out of those races. Sure. So yes, I am the outreach coordinator for uh, Madeline Hoffman and her U.S. Senate campaign. 
Um, she is running as the Green Party candidate against Senator Cory Booker, um, or presumptively against Senator Cory Booker. That depends how the Democratic primaries go, too. But chances are she'll be running against Senator Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason why she's running is because she has seen how Senator Cory Booker has been complicit in a lot of the issues that face our country and face the world in general. Uh, Cory Booker, he's not strong on health care. Um, he, in particular, um, he, he voted on this one particular bill um, regarding pharmaceutical drugs mm-hmm. that would have uh, really, really um, helped a lot of people who needed access to these crucial medicines. He voted against that bill because he collected so much money in pharmaceutical money um, for his first election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he had to play to that constituency, or I, I wouldn't say it's really a constituency because most of the people that donated don't even live in this state. Um, but he also wasn't strong in terms of uh, being a good mayor in Newark. He supported charter schools, which yeah. uh, are not effective ways of supporting public education because the schools are selective mm-hmm. and they usually uh, discard of the, they dispose of the most vulnerable uh, students within a district. And they take public funds away from the schools that uh, need the funding most. Yeah. Um, Cory Booker wasn't strong on the the lead crisis in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be a myth if we said that the lead crisis in Newark is something new. It's something that has been around for a while. And Cory Booker knew as mayor that there was a lead crisis happening. Um, he knew that the the testing um, wasn't being done independently. It was being done uh, through the, the water companies there. Um, so it wasn't transparent it, and it wasn't reflective of what was really going on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people suffered. I, I, I met several people um, who lived in Newark and the... Uh, they, they've been severely impacted uh, through their health by the, the water quality issues. And what have um, they said about uh, Cory Booker? They, they have said that Cory Booker is a, a main reason why the lead crisis got so bad in Newark mm-hmm. and why right now um, they, they're still suffering um, as they wait for pipes to be replaced. Um, in terms of Madeline and her experience on these issues the reason why i'm so passionate about her because of course it's not just about beating booker it's also i think she's a really solid candidate yeah she's an activist um we need more activists in our government our government right now is composed primarily of lawyers and wealthy people and people that are already overrepresented in in the decision making of this country we need more activists that are making decisions. Madeline Hoffman, she spent 20 years as an environmental activist here in New Jersey, and then she spent another 20 years as a peace activist. Mm -hmm. And she's visited um, a lot of communities that really need support on these issues. And she's been able to connect those two issues really well. She talks about 
um, a real Green New Deal as one of the main parts of her platform. And the, the real Green New Deal, um, it, it was something that was proposed actually years ago by the Green Party and some congressional Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. hopped onto it. But then they bring it to Nancy Pelosi and then they cave to Nancy Pelosi and they've watered it down. So she supports a real Green New Deal. And that means cutting the military budget by 50 to 75 percent and taking that money and supporting um, our communities. So that way we could become environmentally sustainable and those communities also get the the necessary support. I I think a lot of what we've talked about today is about building a relationship with the community. Um, how important do you think mm-hmm. a relationship with the community is and how, how does Madeline embody that? Well, a relationship with the community is super important. If you're not building relationships with your community, then who are you really representing? You're representing the money that you've invested in your campaign or rather investors have invested into your campaign um, and not really the people there because people only vote for um, people like Cory Booker because they feel like there's no alternative, mm-hmm. I, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We, we need to start looking at alternatives. Um, I think Madeline has been somebody who, um, I, I've seen her at so many actions over the past few years um she but but even before i was even alive i know she's been involved um she's actually friends with uh there's a democratic party challenger to cory booker also his name's larry ham um and both of them represent a little closer to what i would want um in in congress a little closer at least yeah because both of them are community organizers and have been organizing for years yeah, and you spoke about how Hoffman specifically is an activist and how the businessmen, the lawyers, they're already overrepresented in office. And Governor Murphy, he used to be a partner at Goldman Sachs. So what do you think of his job in office? Uh, do you think he's been uh, giving everyone fair chances, representing everyone equally? And what do you think of his job as he's uh, been handling the pandemic? This is what I'll say about Governor Murphy. Um, I think I thought he was going to be worse than he's been. But that isn't to say that he's been perfect. Um, There are some policies that he supported that I think are really good policies. Like he supported a $15 minimum wage and he supported it now. He Mm -hmm. supports... um, legalizing recreational marijuana, which is something that I support. But he caves to a lot of the state legislators, which is part of the reason why the $15 an hour minimum wage bill that got passed was watered down so much and excluded temporary workers. It excluded tipped workers. Um, It might have included teen workers, but even for teen workers and everyone else that was included, there's a five-year phase in until that minimum wage is actually even going to be realized, at which point it's not even as useful anymore. And then Mm -hmm. on marijuana, um, we still haven't even gotten that passed yet. It's going to be referendum now 
Um, and I think the people will pass it, but it, it shouldn't have to have had been through a referendum. It should have been something that the governor could have negotiated with the Senate president and the speaker um, in, yeah. in the legislature and gotten passed. Mm-hmm. And so I would also say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but in terms of his community relationships um, and his role in the environment, he's been really weak. Um, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to the Newark water crisis, I, I'm really disappointed and I'm not surprised, but I, I am really disappointed in how he's responded to the water crisis in Newark. Um, because it took the organizing of people for about um, several, I mean, several years. It was before even Murphy was in office, um, but it took so much organizing before the politicians actually did something about the water crisis in Newark. And um, now they're replacing some of the, the pipelines, but um, not fast enough, and certainly uh, he didn't react quick enough. And then other environmental issues, um, he supported um, uh, the the power plant in the Meadowlands. He mm-hmm. uh, also uh, did not help the residents of Kearney um, with yeah. closing the Keegan landfill, which um, that was actually causing major issues to the community because um you were having kids that were like out playing soccer and they were actually like collapsing um because of the fumes that were coming from the landfill Um, yeah and he he wasn't reacting when the people were calling on him to do so so i i expect better from governor phil murphy um you know i think but I, I, I don't think he's going to get better. I think he's just another uh, symptom of what the, the Democratic Party has um, long stood for, um, hmm. or I guess the values it's chosen not to stand for. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining me and Noah on the first episode of the Matt Levine My Generation podcast. Uh, we covered a ton from the Green Party to George Floyd to the 2020 election. Uh, Listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed. And please rate, review, and subscribe when you're done. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. You were awesome. Thanks, Noah. And we'll see you guys guys next Thursday.